have recovered from burnout as a vet. I still do some relief work, um, but I've also created Life Boost with Amelia where I do coaching. And so I've been able to pursue all these things and going down so many different rabbit holes, um, just of like trying to get to the root of why so many people, you know, are trying hard and, and not feeling the way that they want to. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I am excited to have Dr. Amelia Knight-Pinkston. Amelia is a multi-passionate recovered burnout vet and integrative health and life coach. Uh, she's certified in integrative change work, hypnosis, veterinary medical acupuncture, and is co-chair of the Veterinary Genesis Initiative. Um, Amelia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I think uh, we were talking a little bit before uh, hit record, but just there, I think there's really so much for us to talk about here. So thank you for coming and taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat today. Awesome. Will you start by just telling people your story? Um, you know, I, I gave a very, very high level, uh, but I think there's there's a there's a ton to talk about. And so let let's just start. You know, let people know about you and your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think a good place to start is my name because I feel like that kind of summarizes my journey. So Amelia means industrious um, and really that natural drive to be working hard is really what led me to the lowest and highest points of my life. At the lowest point a few years ago, I was a burnt out vet. I just was really deeply regretting my decision to become a vet. Um, but I felt really stuck. And, you know, up until that point, I decided I wanted to be a vet when I was like six. And I had worked so hard to achieve that dream. And so it was really confusing when I found myself living my dream and it really was feeling more like a nightmare. And there was a point when I was just sitting on my couch and it finally started to open a door for me where I was just feeling really sorry for myself, thinking about like all the reasons why I was stuck in this career. Like I had worked my entire life to get to that point, my student loans, you know, what others would think of me. And just for a moment, I allowed myself to think. So if all of those things just weren't problems, then what would I do? And that really just like opened this door to this cage that I had really like unknowingly created for myself. And it allowed me to stop judging and to start getting curious. And that really led me on this path towards this highest point where I am now and really just getting curious about why was I feeling this way? What did I need? Why was my dream not feeling like I thought it would? And learning how to listen to my body and support my energy 
in order to really get to this high point where I have recovered from burnout as a vet. I still do some relief work, um, but I've also created Life Boost with Amelia where I do coaching. And so I've been able to pursue all these things and going down so many different rabbit holes, um, just of like trying to get to the root of why so many people, you know, are trying hard and and not feeling the way that they want to and seeing how all these things are connected and understanding how to really what true health and success looks like. And so um, that's where I'm also doing coaching and and also just really passionate about creating positive change in the vet profession. Because, uh, you know, before we started recording, we were just talking about, you know, there is such a high burnout and suicide rate in the veterinary profession. And most people outside of this profession really don't realize that. And so at first, at that lowest point, I just wanted to flee the vet profession and really and learning how to support my own energy while working hard that's really um, created a passion to be speaking out on how we can be creating a new norm in vet med that is sustainable yeah I love that and I it's funny you're probably a very good coach because even as you were talking I had all these things kind of <laughs> pop into my head and, and it, we we did we you know we talked about before we hit record how there's that huge discrepancy between um like how how we see the veterinary profession from within versus people outside of it are looking and it's like oh you just play with puppies and kittens all day exactly and <laughs> what just struck me in your story you said oh as you know when i was six years old i wanted to do this and it's fun that's yeah. like not that you don't have a you you have a unique path but like so many of us that's it right like when you're a kid you're like totally. i just i love animals i want to help animals and it's funny so you so so what i what kind of just the connection that just came to me is that at that time you have the same thought of veterinary medicine as everybody else that's not in veterinary medicine right yeah, as so a true. 6 year old we're like we love puppies and kittens i would like to i would like to play with them forever and i would right. like to help them like that's kind of yeah, what who what wouldn't you think. Right. right exactly <laughs> and it's like and it the other funny thing to that is like when you hear people sometimes like i have family members or clients and they'll say you know oh it's a, it's amazing what you what you do i just couldn't deal with the you know if you have to do a, a euthanasia or something like i couldn't deal Every with time. seeing them sick right mm -hmm. and so it, it's what for whatever reason those of us that went into the field never had that realization before you know we, we thought we could help them and then and then you mentioned you know kind of all the work that you have to do to get there and it's we've talked a little bit about it on the show before but just tell people kind of the path I mean tell tell people about you know kind of what it takes to get to vet school to become a vet like all of that yeah yeah I mean so I think that's almost one of the problems is because that school selects for very yeah. driven high achievers because it is so selective even just to get into that school. So that selection process, you know, you really need to have, we need to have been busy, right? Like we need to have 
you know, had perfect grades and we needed to have volunteered and done all of the extracurriculars and also, you know, showed that we do understand the realities of vet med by putting in the hours there. And so, you know, even before we get into vet school, we have, they've kind of been um, selecting for those who are willing to self-sacrifice a little bit and um, just keep, you know, really um, that like no pain, no gain mindset. And then, yeah, then we go into vet school and I don't know about you, maybe you had a different experience, but I felt like I worked hard in high school and college, you know, but it is just like a whole nother level in vet school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think maybe maybe this is everybody, but I always, for some reason, I always thought the next level would get a little bit easier (laughs) for whatever, like you always thought like, like, you know, in high school, you're like, this is, this is tough, but college will probably be more fun. And then college was hard. And you're like, oh, let's see, let's see what vet school is going to be like. And then like vet school is like dramatically harder than college. Like it was just, oh my gosh, constant classwork, I mean, we would have like three exams a week. It was just like, just always, you were always going. And it it was, it wasn't until fourth year when you, you know, kind of go into your clinical work. And and I really enjoyed the clinical side, but still it was a ton of hours, right? It's like, you're just there always. (laughs) Uh, There is no like outside of, um, outside of school life. And so- that that go and then it was like well and I'm not sure if you did internship or residency or anything like that but like it just kept going like I my internships like that was twice as hard as vet school and then the residency was like twice and it just kept I'm going sh- oh yeah and then I got out and and I thought it's gonna be better it's gonna be better once mm-hmm. I'm done with all this and it really wasn't like it, it was just like you, it just keeps going it just you, there's still more there's always more work to do I guess is kind of what it comes down to and so you can imagine from you know that that story are both of our you know co- commonalities there in the path like it's not hard for me to imagine why people get burnt out it's not ha- hard for me to imagine why the suicide rate is high in, in veterinary profession like it's it's tragic and i wish it weren't that way but it's like yeah. i i've said this to to many people like I have two young kids. I don't want them in the vet field. My wife's a tech. I don't want my kids to follow in our footsteps. I really don't because I see the struggles that, especially like the, the young people that, you know, they're coming out of school now and, you know, faced with huge student loans and things like that. So anyway, a little off track, but, but the the point is it's, there's so many things that you don't know about when you're, getting like when you're going into it and there's so many things that people outside of our profession just don't know so totally yeah and I think what you said is such an important point of that mindset of like I'm going to work really hard now because things are going to be better in the future but noticing that every time you reach that there's just like something else and I think that really is one of the key things that is draining us we're not learning how to be getting that like feeling that we're trying to get in the present or like supporting our energy while we're working towards that it's more like I'm just gonna like be running on empty because I think that there's something they're going to get a break in the future and 
And I think I heard from another um, episode that you had that like you also took some time off in between um, like undergrad and vet school. Is that right? Yeah. And so like there's definitely that part of me that, you know, like I came up with that dream when I was six and I wanted to be working with animals, but I was aware that of some of the realities of the profession. And I took that year off because I really wanted to be like, is this really something that I want? And, and I still decided to go into vet school and yet I still ended up getting burnt out. And so that's, what's really, really drives me to get to the root of why that's happening. Yeah, it it is. A, it, it's, I guess the, the reality is that like many people are already burnt out when they're starting working. Totally. Right. Like you're yep. already burnt out from all of the stuff that led up to getting this job as a veterinarian that you're, that you go into your first job in this, you know, what was your dream career as already burnt out. You're already exhausted. And it's like, I hear, you know, so many people come out of vet school and they're like, I got to start working right now because I need money, right? Like, right. You just, I got to start, like, there's no break in between. I see people, I I, I uh, used to train surgery residents. It's like, so, you know, they, they finish their residency and like, oh, I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting my new job next week. And it's like, you you just, you know, you, you've forget, well, yeah, forget the, the fact that you've just been working your tail off for a lot of years. Yeah. You also have all these school loans and debt and things like that in in most cases. And so, you know, people are faced with that, you know, kind of uh, financial (laughs) brick wall right in front of them that they're like, I got to start working so I can pay my bills. And so it's just a, um, it is a challenging spot to be in. And, and I, if you don't mind, tell us about you know, share what you're comfortable with, but I mean, kind of tell us about that time when you realized you were, you know, sort of in that burnt out place and you had to make a change. Like, how did that, how did that look for you? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I really was in denial for a long time. And as I look around at other vet professionals, I think that that's a case for a lot of people. Um, you know, I thought that I was doing everything to be healthy and successful. Like I thought that I was eating well, I was exercising a lot because that was like my one form of stress management. And, you know, I was working really hard. Uh, I was definitely struggling with imposter syndrome at that time. Um, But I started to have signs in my body that things weren't working for me. Like I, despite doing all those healthy things, I felt exhausted. I was starting to have like these crippling stomach aches that would just happen anytime. And I visited with doctors and they really didn't have answers, even with doing tests. And, you know, I was even having this brain fog in the afternoons, just kind of feeling like it was hard to focus, kind of like spacey. And, and even with feeling those things for a long time, I was just kind of like, well, this is normal. And I remember eventually just being like, you know, probably not everyone feels really spacey and weird after lunch every single day. And so at that point I started to, um, you know, when the traditional doctors weren't, 
um, helping to get to the root of why I was so tired. I did um, visit with some functional medicine practitioners and just sitting in the doctor's office. Um, she just asked me the simplest question, like, are you happy as a veterinarian? And just all of a sudden, this huge wave of emotions came over me. Like I felt like I wanted to burst into tears and I didn't even know that I had been keeping that inside of me. And that was a little bit of a wake up call of that really, I, I maybe wasn't okay. And, and that wasn't a convenient thing to, to realize because it was a, you know, I knew that I was stressed um, but if someone asked me like how I was doing, I'd be like, I, oh, I'm good, you know, stressed, but good. Um, you know, like I, and then I would just list all the reasons why I loved being a vet because that was a much better and more convenient reality than the fact yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> um, it's the narrative. I was, yeah, right. Um, and so starting to, I think that is one of the key things in the vet profession, but also just in our society is that so many of us aren't really recognizing the signs that we are stuck in survival mode or um, what, what's called a trauma response, which I think can, can sound um, misleading in a way with a trauma response, really just think about that can happen anytime the body encounters more stress than you can process in the moment. And if we think about, I mean, the path to become a veterinarian, we are, there's just, there are so many stressors and mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, I not once was I taught, a like anti-anxiety or stress relieving technique aside from you know, exercise um, to just have a pop-off valve for that stress and to be releasing it from my body. And so I think we do see in the vet profession signs that everyone is stuck in survival mode, you know, like that cynicism, being a workaholic, lack of boundaries, people-pleasing, imposter syndrome. Um, and so I think that if the more we can talk about those signs of being in like fight, flight, fawn or freeze, um, that's really going to be the first step to help others who may be feeling in denial or not even realizing how much you know stress is impacting their life. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of a long answer. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. And I, and I, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that a big part of, of, you know, sort of shifted my focus with, with the podcast, with, with our fund is, is, is awareness and, in understanding just that what just what you said that in understanding so again it's like people outside of the veterinary profession don't they don't realize that right yeah. and so part of what I want is if you're listening to this you're not a vet maybe of pets like let can you just recognize the stress that your vet and their staff is under when you bring your pet there and maybe just be a little bit more patient I have I can't tell you the number of clients that I have had lately, interestingly, that when I've consulted with them, and they're not really complaining about me, but they're like, you know, it took me X amount of time to get a call back and blah, blah, blah. And I think there's really a problem here and all of this. And I just, I'm like, I want you to understand something. Like the number of pets doubled during the pandemic, number of pets in the US doubled in the pandemic. And the number of vets and the number of technicians went down. So yeah. it's just not possible <laughs> for, 
for really us to do it all. It's just not possible. There just isn't the manpower anymore. And yeah. so, you know, I, I think I don't, I honestly don't know what happens when people go to their, their doctor, their pediatrician, their, their, you know, sort of own uh, medical team. I don't know what happens if they go there and get, you know, angry and frustrated and belligerent. I'm really not sure. I don't, I don't live right. in that world, but I know that's what happens to us and it's, it's really not acceptable. And and that's, that's the thing that I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things I would like to come out of this is like, have a little bit of understanding for what your veterinarian, what their team are going through. And that will allow them to have more understanding in return to the stress that you're under for bringing your sick pet in. Like, it's, it's just like, right. if everybody's a little bit more human to each other, it will yes. be, it, it, it will make things go a long way. So I think that that's, that's an important component of this is understanding that it's, you know, th there's a lot of different stresses. One of them is financial. One of them is the, the, the hours worked. One of them is that every single animal that we treat, which is, which is why we all got in the profession because we want to fix animals right. comes with an owner. And so yeah. <laughs> I think I've like, joked about this before, but it's like, I feel like, you know, probably 75%, if not more of, of veterinarians became veterinarians because they wanted to be a doctor, but they didn't want to deal with people. Yeah. But mistakenly <laughs> didn't realize that all yeah. of those pets have a person. They and sure so, do. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, a profession filled with like extreme introverts that are then never taught the tools to, to deal with people because there's too much else to learn while you're going through all these steps. Right. You don't talk about finances. You don't talk about client communication. There's like, like none of that stuff happens. And then you're thrust into a job where you have 20 minutes to see an appointment and you have to examine, figure out everything that's wrong with that pet and then explain it to the owner. And it's just, it's just not possible. Like it's it re realistically, it's just not possible to do that and also have understanding, compassion, the time to listen to the client. Like it's right. just like, these are things in, yeah. and some people are going to say, we'll have longer appointments, but the, but they don't, but they don't want to pay more for longer appointments. So there's, right. there's just like, there's a lot of pressure in, you know, kind of from all directions. So again, it's, it's like, as someone on the inside, it's like, I, I have now constructed my veterinary career in such a way that it's great. Like I'm very yeah. happy with the way yeah, I get to manage my time. And, and, you know, so, so yeah, the, the clients aren't upset with me because I take my time with them, but I have built it yeah. that way and I think there's just so much pressure to keep doing it the way it used to be um and not adapt to the this new world and and also again just the numbers there's there are not enough vets coming out of vet school mm -hmm. to fill the positions that are available so it's yeah. not getting better and if something doesn't change to make it a better profession, guess what? People aren't going to keep becoming vets. They're going to, I told, I just told you, like, yeah. I don't want my kids in this field. So yeah. it's like, people are going to see those things. And so it's, it's not going to get better unless we can do something about it. And, and I think, I, I mean, I don't have any illusions that you or I can change everything, but mm. I think the idea here is we can 
do our part and do as much as we can to sort of better the situation and, and raise awareness. So, yeah. sorry, rambling, but it, it's no, something I'm very passionate so about, good. and I think it gets um, it gets missed. Um, but I wanted to kind of ask you, like, what do you, what what tools do you use? What tools do you teach people when you're coaching? Like, what what are your um, I guess, tools as far as dealing with some of this, you know, I think a lot of people (laughs) figure it out on their own, oftentimes not in a healthy way, right? Like drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, other, whatever it is, like things that to, to deal with the stress, but obviously those aren't the healthy ways. Like, like, what do you do? What do you, what do you teach people that you're coaching to, to do, to help you know, manage these things? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've definitely spent a lot of time trying to get to like the root of why, why is that burnout happening? Because like you said, I mean, we are losing people and we desperately need more people in this profession. So we need to be figuring out how can we keep people and help to create an environment where they can thrive. And, um, and so I've even, I've created a free series for the veterinary community called beat the burnout what we should have learned in vet school and that kind of outlines like four steps that i think are really important for individuals and hospitals and this absolutely applies to those outside of veterinary medicine as well to help to connect with how you can be working towards your goals and being successful in a way that is sustainable and so the the first is just shifting out of survival mode. So when I'm working with clients, like the first thing that I do is I empower them with anti-anxiety tools that they can use absolutely anywhere. Because, you know, if we think about stress in our bodies, it's kind of like air in a balloon, right? And so a balloon is designed to accommodate quite a bit of air, but at a certain point, even just like the tiniest bit of air. So a tiniest bit of stress or, you know, a little bit of pressure from the outside, that's enough to make it pop. And so much of us are walking around that way. And so when we have someone like, you know, a disrespectful client, that's enough to make us pop. And so we really need to be having like a pop-off valve so that we can be shifting into a calmer state so that you can be thinking more clearly. Um, And the cool thing about anti-anxiety tools is those also serve as like a pattern interrupt. So, so many of the things that like are leading us to burnout, you know, like maybe that tendency to just never, you know, that perfectionism, maybe people pleasing, anything like that. Um, or maybe just even like choosing food that, that we don't really want to, because we're stress eating. When you use an anti-anxiety tool that helps to like put up a roadblock on that pattern in your brain. And that helps you to be in a place where you can start to create new habits and patterns. Um, and so that's one of the first things that, that I teach. Um, a second thing is that we really need to be establishing like a zero tolerance for bullies policy. And when I say that, I mean with clients, with peers, but also in the way that we're treating ourselves and our clients. And and that really does start with 
talking about and recognizing signs of the trauma responses, you know, that fight, flight, fawn, and freeze. And when we're noticing it, including in ourselves, like, oh, I'm I'm not resting like I should, you know, or, oh, I just totally overfilled my schedule, even though I now feel super resentful and <laughs> irritated. Um, recognizing that and just pausing when we see that and getting curious, ditching that judgment and just thinking about why, either from my perspective or the perspective of the client who's maybe show angry and is that showing a sign of like the fight response why from their perspective are they feeling overwhelmed or threatened and really identifying like what needs to happen to reestablish safety either for yourself you know or with this client and you know what you're talking about is such a common thing with clients just being really frustrated with us not doing things quickly enough um And, you know, even sometimes just helping them to feel seen and heard of being like, I see that you're frustrated and trying to get curious about what, what it really is at the root of that, you know, is it maybe that they're stressed because they don't have the finances and they're really worried about their pet, you know, and, and trying to kind of meet them where they are to help them to feel heard. But if it's not possible to be establishing that like safety and mutual respect, then creating boundaries is huge to be protecting our energy. And especially, you know, in veterinary hospitals, you know, I, I, as a relief vet, I do see that a lot where it's kind of normalized to be catering to disrespectful clients and for staff that really, you know, puts them in this position where they're subject to this verbal abuse without a way of escaping without fear of negative consequences. And, and that creates such an unsafe workplace. And why would anybody want to be going into work in a place where they have to to deal with that? And so, you know, going back to that, we need energy for things to be sustainable, creating boundaries about around the places where things are feeling unsafe and overwhelming is such a great way to get back so much energy um and then the third is we need to replenish energy and i think in there's there are so many ways that i support clients in doing that but in the broadest sense i really encourage people just to start observing like what are the things in your day that are boosting your energy and what are the things in your day that are draining them and there has to be more things that are boosting your energy than are draining them. Otherwise, you know, if you're ending the day on empty and then the next day you're starting the day on empty, you know, we can have all the passion in the world to be saving animals, but that is just not sustainable. Um, And so it is really important to start to connect with your why, you know, I love that your podcast is all about that because really getting to the root of why and like what is the feeling that you want when you think that you'll achieve that that is a, a really helpful for creating a path and getting curious about like how can i start to connect with that feeling now and 
And if you think about any dreams that we have, like at the root of that, when you think about like, how is that going to make me feel, you know, whether that is financial or with your career or with your health, it there's, you have this energy boost when you think about it. Right. And so it's so important to think about how along this path, can I be supporting my energy? Um, and that definitely involves looking at the basic necessities, you know, the norm is really to ignore things like water, real food, rest, sunlight, you know, fresh air movement, those basic things. So many of us treat like a luxury. And so really getting curious about how can we be prioritizing that is so important. And then, you know, finally, the thing that I think we need to be doing is asking, like, how can we create an environment where it's convenient to thrive right like in vet med and beyond how can we be making it so that in the day there is time to be eating maybe there's time to even like get outside for like a short walk or breath of fresh air um you know just connecting with those things that give you the fuel and the energy to make it through the day yeah, I, I mean, all of it's great points. It, I, I'll give a little example, a personal example of the um, <laughs> the lack of good eating that can happen when you're you're caught up in this. So, uh, yeah. in my internship, I was so in, for people listening and don't understand sort of the progression, right? It's vet school, then internship. Internship is one year, a one year intensive. Um, in a lot of instances, the goal is that internship moves you on to a specialty, but but it doesn't have to. But the point is, that's what it was for me. I, was, I wanted to be a surgeon. Intense year. For the first four to five months of my internship, and we were working, it was routinely 12 to 14 hour days, routinely, uh, as as a lot of internships, unfortunately, are. Uh, for those, the first four to five months of that, the only thing I ate through the day or drank was a... Um, package of Pop-Tarts and a Mountain Dew from the vending machine for months. That's what I had for my sort of only, <laughs> only sustenance during that whole time, because that's oh what I gosh. felt I had time to do. That was just it. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I like, I, it was sort of like a joke and, but it's like, it, but that's cause that's almost normal. Like that's almost totally what is. happens. Like people go all day and don't eat people go all day and, you know, haven't drank any water or whatever. Like that's a, that's a exactly. normal thing. And so it, it's, it sounds simple uh, that you should prioritize those things, right? It sounds obvious maybe, mm -hmm. but the reality is that's just not, that's not always, it, it is possible, but it has to be made possible. It has to be made possible by the, uh, the clinic or the environment that you're working in. And, and thankfully uh, there have been a lot of shifts towards that since I was an intern that was many years ago so yeah. it, it's it is happening but it's happening slowly over time as as change tends to be um I think that yeah. the, you know sort of you, you put out a lot of good examples a lot of uh things there that, as far as the environment you know you talked about the 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 difficult clients and and catering to them I think that's another really great point because sometimes uh you know what we a lot of places most places now have medical records right and so you, you type in you pull up a chart and 
a lot of them have the ability to pop up notes. And oftentimes the note that pops up with one of these clients is like difficult client will be belligerent with the front, blah, blah, blah like all of these things. Yeah. And I, my immediate response is, why is this? Why are they here? Right. Exactly. Why do you let them come back? That yeah. that's like, if it's, if it's my clinic, if I own that clinic, they're mm -hmm. not coming back. Like, that's just not going to be go, go find someone else who wants to accept that because I'm not going to put, because as you said, like the staff is not going to feel safe and supported in that environment. Cause unfortunately they take the brunt of it. There are a lot of clients that will come in and be um, difficult with the front desk. They'll be difficult with the technicians and then their sweetest pie with the doctor. Yeah. And exactly. I, that actually makes me more mad than if you're difficult with, you. with me. <laughs> yeah. I, like if you don't treat my people well, we're done. Yeah. Like that's it. You can go. Cause I don't, and I'll tell mm -hmm. people that right away. Like though, all those people are doing what I'm asking them to. So if you have a problem with it, then your problem is with me. Don't take it out on them. And I, I think it's just, but that's, I, again, it's, it's just not the way that things are um, structured and set up. And so in, in, don't get me wrong. There's the majority of clients are good, Absolutely. kind people, mm -hmm. but, but it can be very hard when you get, you know, like you're in a busy day and, and someone gets you have one client that's like that. It, it'll really ruin people's days because yeah. they're right there in your face um, or yeah. on the phone or whatever it is. So I think it's just, I think all these points you bring up in actually finding ways to take care of yourself give yourself that energy be conscious of the environment and 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 be you know maybe when you're um, if people are job hunting looking at that looking at the culture looking yes. at the environment looking how you know maybe ask them if, at, how do you handle it when it's a difficult client here what happens Definitely. like what's the process like that kind of thing would be I think so big in having what what everybody wants as as a as a uh, employee or or as a you know practice owner, you want sustainability. You want people to stay, and exactly I, as as a, a vet or a technician, you want to stay somewhere. You want to find a yes. place that you can stay. You don't want to be you know bouncing around to jobs, which is what happens exactly. all the time. And it's like so understanding you know kind of what you can do for yourself, but also like looking for that appropriate environment to work in, I think is such, such a huge uh, piece that like, I, I don't, again, not a thing that you're, you know, sort of taught in vet school. There's no, there's no uh, class in your fourth year of vet school about finding a job in, in the room. No, right. Or boundaries or anything. Yeah. And, and I think that what you're talking about is such a good point at you know, I think with those, so many of those hospitals that are just catering to these clients that they know are going to be disrespectful, you know, I think so much of that is rooted in they, that hospital is stuck in survival mode and that people pleasing and just thinking like, oh, we, we need this money, you know, thinking about the numbers or that fear of a negative review and thinking about the ripple effect that that could cause. But I think, you know, in all these cases, it's so important to look at what is the ripple effect of tolerating that? Because, yeah. you know, when you are dealing with a client who's being disrespectful, then, then what happens, you know, then 
all, you know, more staff are having to get involved. It's taking up time. Everybody's getting flustered and upset. Then other appointments are maybe going later than they should. People are running behind. And then these clients who you love and want to be there for, now they're having a terrible experience and the staff is. And so it ends up being that like all of the people who are so important for the the real success of the hospital now they're having a negative experience and potentially looking for ways out while you're spending all that time and energy on a client who who oftentimes they also aren't going to be you know maybe bringing in they're certainly not going to be bringing in enough to account for you know low retention rates and the staff or just a overall negative culture yeah yeah, no, I mean, it, from just a, um, a take the take the human element out of it, but I mean, just from a strictly revenue standpoint, yeah. Like I said, the vast majority of clients are wonderful, yeah. So that catering to that one, what what it does, the damage that it does outside of that is by allowing them to continue to to be that way. You know, I think clinics are like, oh, we have to get every case in. And it's like, no, you don't you really don't need to have every single case in like you can you will make the rest of it and everybody else's experience much better in your employee retention and you know kind of just like the overall culture at that practice is going to be better if you don't cater to people that treat your staff that way and and honestly yeah probably if you don't cater to them they'll stop Exactly. So often it's incredible right. if you just, right. you know, if you just say something out. to them, like this yeah. is not acceptable. <laughs> usually it stops. Like it's that there's They're very so right. few people that just, you know, once they get caught, they're upset. They're up. Something's wrong. Right. They're there most of the time because their pet is sick and they're upset about that. Right. But if you tell them it's okay for you to be upset, but you can't treat everybody that way usually that's the end of it. Like, it's just, it's like simple human stuff. Like, and it's just, you know, instead of, and, and I think having a culture where that's, that's accepted, that that's supported, that you can say that is going to go such a long way to overall practice health. Like, it's just, and it's just say, like, you know, being, you, you need to have you need to have your, you know, kind of staff have their backs, if you will, like you need to be yes. a, be in their corner um, and understand those situations. I think that that's, that's just like a, a super important thing from a, a, a practice management practice, you know, um, ownership standpoint, like I think it's it's yeah. incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, really, I feel like that's one of the lowest hanging fruits for creating positive change that a hospital can do is just across the board, establishing a zero tolerance for bullies policy. And that means, you know, empowering every staff member with the ability to, if they are feeling in this unsafe space, having the ability to create a boundary and knowing that their hospital backs them up in that, you know, just the level of energy they can get from that feeling of empowerment versus not having any control is huge. And, and of course, that also goes along with having those communication skills and talking with everybody about 
how you can be navigating conversations and how can you be diffusing those situations and helping the client to just feel heard because you're you know so right that they're often just really stressed because they're worried about their pet and and recognizing that common theme of everybody is worried about that we all want the same thing we, exactly. we the, the client wants the same thing that we want like we want to fix the pet they want you to fix the pet so it's yep. it's not really like it's not a hard bridge to to or a hard not a hard gap to bridge right they right. They, they want their pet to get better we want their pet to get better yeah. we just need to figure out how to like make that a <laughs> a healthy process and and you know empowering people to have their um have those conversations or just think about just think about this scenario and and you know maybe people outside the vet world haven't experienced this like we all have on a number of occasions but you've got one angry client in a lobby full of other clients right and they're battling back and forth with the front desk how far is it going to go for the practice owner certain the hospital manager whatever it is to walk out there pull them in a room and say, we want to help your pet, but you cannot treat people that way. So you can either leave now and not come back, or you can calm down and we can, you know, help you. It's going to be, it's going to make every person (laughs) that was involved in that interaction, including all the other clients, have a positive vision of what this hospital is, of what this clinic is. And it's just, yeah. you know, and people won't do it. And it, it's, I, I like, I understand it. It's like, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes those clients are are scary. Um, really? But you, it, it's a something, something that need to be, um, it needs to be a part of it. You know, whether you have that, that person that that's not afraid to do it, or you have, you know, you just have a culture of, of we won't put up with this. It, yes. it will get, it will, dramatically improve you know sort of morale at at the hospital absolutely yeah I mean the ripple effect in terms of the success for the hospital really is huge by doing something as small as that yeah and and you had mentioned one other thing that I think is important to highlight about how you know everybody's just trying to like say yes to every patient that's coming in And I think that does get to, you know, what has driven so many of us into this profession of wanting to save any animal. And so I think I do often see, you know, people working through lunch breaks, that type of thing, because they are one having that mindset of like, I want to save every animal. Of course we do. And having so much guilt, if you are, you know, like taking a lunch break instead of accepting, you know, one more and And again, like expanding out and noticing that when we're doing that, what happens, you know, if staff are overwhelmed and we're not having the time to be, you know, educating and talking with clients and, you know, doing a thorough physical exam, then we really aren't helping that animal to the best of our abilities and, and really like changing the narrative of and creating a culture where we're putting our oxygen mask on first and really thinking about what do I need in order to show up with energy so that I can, to the best of my ability, be helping the animals that I can, you know, accepting that we alone are not going to be able to help every single animal as hard of a reality as that is. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, 
there's a million things we can talk about. I, <laughs> we go on on all day. I I I, yeah. I definitely want to have you back on, but I also don't want to keep you all day today. Um, there's so many things in this like lane that we could go through and talk about. But um, yeah. what what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of switch gears here. I want to get to ask you the questions I ask every guest, Amelia. And and okay. again, you're you're welcome to come back uh, anytime. Thank this you. is like such an imp- <laughs> these are such important things for people within and and outside of the veterinary community to sort of understand like right like first first, sorry first understand where those stress points come from second understand what to do about them and like I mean we haven't even we haven't even touched on the financial stuff which is (laughs) I know and there's so much to talk about I know right there's so much there and I just yeah uh so we'll we'll definitely do this again but um yeah but the so I, I do, you know, I always ask every guest based on the name of the show, what, what is your why? Uh, I know you've sort of touched on a little bit, but I, I want to give you the, the opportunity to expand kind of what what what's driving you, what what's uh, moving you forward? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, really, the norm in our society is to be sick, overweight, and unhappy, right? And So that means that if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're not going to feel good. And I'm not okay with that reality. You know, I learned that when you follow all the rules you that you think lead to success and health, you can lose who you are. And, you know, I, that really fuels a passion to be creating a new narrative around what health and success look like and to just be creating change in vet med and beyond where, you know, we are all treating our body, listening to what our bodies are saying, prioritizing those basic necessities and just creating a new narrative where health and success is something that gives you energy and makes your life easier. Um, that is what really fuels me. And and certainly my personal experience with burnout, I just, I don't want other vet professionals to, to experience that. And I now do see solutions for our profession. Um, and that really fuels me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we have to find those solutions because I, as I you know, sort of talked about before, the numbers are, are dwindling <laughs> And I really don't think are. people want less pets. So if we're going to, you know, sort of sustain the ability to care for them uh, in, in a meaningful way, like we, we need to, we need people to want to be here. And I, I, you know, I've mentioned it about my kids and it's like, I cut part of me is like, I want, I want to change things so that I would be okay with my kids follow. You know what I mean? Like that, that's yes. really like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel that I don't want my kids to kind of see what, you know, see what daddy and, and mommy do and and not like not want them to be a part of like not want them to be excited about that. Like my daughter yeah. loves dogs, loves them. And I'm like, it scares me. I'm like, no, no, just, just have them as pets, right? Like, and so I, I would I would like to to change that the way that I I think about it at this point. Um yeah. tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge special skill, a hobby, uh, anything you're uh, comfortable sharing, let, let listeners know you a little better. Uh, 
Well, so I guess something we didn't talk about during this episode is um, that I'm certified in integrative change work and hypnosis. And I think hypnosis is something that people hear and they think of like stage hypnosis. Um, (laughs) But that has been such an incredible tool that I now have for myself and for my clients. And I'm just like, amazed by how quickly I'm able to be creating change. And that really is all about like connecting with the unconscious. You know, when we think about like our conscious mind as maybe like 5% of like all the things that are going on in our brain and so much of what ends up depleting our energy, making our lives harder than it has to be are all from these unconscious, you know, beliefs and biases and patterns and habits. And so that has been such a game changer for me and a lot of fun just being able to um, see how quickly I can create change um, by connecting with the unconscious mind yeah yeah that's fantastic I um, <laughs> I would be a little afraid to get hypnotized but I think it <laughs> it's really cool but but yeah I think probably you mentioned stage hypnosis probably what most people think of like when they've when they've seen it but that's a I, I can imagine it is very, very helpful for people to be, um, ha- as you say, like access that subconscious mind and have, and figure out kind of what's going on from within there. Ah, there's so much wisdom there. And the other thing just to add, cause I know a lot of people are like, oh, hypnosis. No, <laughs> one thing to know is that you are always in the driver's seat too. It's not like you're out of control. It's kind of like, you're in the driver's seat, I'm in the back and I'm giving you directions and you get to decide if you want to go that way or not. Um, But it can be a great way of really just getting past that like critical factor, that conscious brain, that judgmental brain um, to really be connecting with what you need, changing habits. There's so much you can explore there. Yeah, amazing. Um, When people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Yeah, so there are lots of ways. Um, my email is amelia at lifeboost.today. Um, I'm active on social media on Instagram. I'm at lifeboost with Amelia. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Um, definitely I the free beat the burnout series that I have is there are four videos available to anybody in the veterinary community. um, And you can get access to that at www.lifeboost.today slash beat burnout. And I also have a podcast life boost with Amelia, pretty much. If you look up life boost with Amelia, you'll be able to find you. And we'll put, we'll put all that in the show notes too. So people can access it easily. Um, Well, this is so The last question I normally ask people is give advice for someone starting out in uh, real estate or business or something like that, but, but obviously you need to reconfigure this a little bit. I, I want you to, you know, sort of give, give people advice for maybe the first steps they should take if they're feeling like they're in that, you know, kind of space of, of burnout, they're starting, maybe starting to notice the the fogginess in the afternoon or they you know they're not eating right or they're they're having um you know sort of anxiety attacks whatever you're starting to to have these signs whether they're mental or physical within their bodies uh what, what would you tell them um to kind of set them on the right path yeah i would say the number one thing is starting to shift out of survival mode and learning how to tell your body that you are safe 
Um, and I even have a, like my favorite one minute anti-anxiety tool. That's a free resource. And I share six ways that you can be using that to really be creating positive change. Um, so I think that is number one, because just helping your body to feel safe is going to give you so much energy and, and also just starting to be aware of like, what are the things that boost my energy and what are the things that drain it? And that can be even like different types of food movement when you're out in fresh air, different aspects of your job. Um, you know, just collecting data, really, I always say embrace your inner researcher, collect data um, about yourself to learn about what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take some of that hard work drive and put it towards yourself, I think is a, a, a way, you know, people can, <clears throat> we're all in that sort of, um, I, I don't know, mindset of, of, you know, work, 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 work. And you, know, you just need to take some of that energy and, and put it towards yourself. And it, it, again, it's like that filling your, uh, or getting the oxygen mask, mask before you put, put it on someone else get, or getting your own. So yeah. I, I, uh, I'm so happy that we we did this. I definitely do want to have you back again. Thank you so much awesome. for coming on the show and and uh, talking about everything. There's so much more here that um, we can talk about, but this was a phenomenal yeah. start. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Awesome. And folks listening, I know you're going to love this episode. Um, please like, rate, and review so we can get more guests, more great guests like Amelia. And uh, we will have everything in the show notes so you can, um, especially if you're, you know, in the veterinary community and you, any of this resonates with you, uh, please, please check out all of her free resources and connect. So um, thank you all for listening. Hey there. I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?